2: Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.
3: All right, welcome to Film Study for week three. It's hard to believe we're already this deep into the season. Ken McCusick, how are you doing? life's good josh how about Um, you doing okay um i'm glad this is the defense we get to talk about but really i think isn't shouldn't we just talk about special teams and make this the special teams episode we never talk about special teams and i don't think we can uh, avoid that for this week but let's first bring gabe into the conversation so gabe from the situation room is joining us today as well
4: Hey, Josh. yeah, it's, it's good to be here. Um, you know, in fantasy football, defense and special teams gets grouped together. So I don't, I don't see why we can't talk at least a little bit about the fantastic <laughs> performance we saw from Justin Tucker.
5: Yeah, sure thing. I mean, uh, uh, you know, one of the interesting things is in trying to model like what the amount of win probability was added from that play. And one of the problems is there's no good model, as far as I'm aware, that could tell you what was Tucker's chance to make the field goal. Some some places say it's as high as one-third. Others, you know, if, if you're looking on any kind of, you know, the history of the game would tell you the chance is right. zero. I don't, right? I don't because, see how you could give any
3: percentage for something that's never happened before. Uh,
5: there are ways well, to do it with <laughs> modeling. It's just not done okay, very but well, there's, I don't think. Right.
3: There's yeah. just a good chance that anything else going horribly wrong and, and at that moment.
5: I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'd, be, it'd be. Think about like when the record was 61 home runs projected the chance of a 62 home run season. You would know, it wouldn't be right. zero and you know, it probably wouldn't be all that high, but you'd still be able to model okay. it somehow. Right, yeah. So Steroids. Anyway. Got it. <laughs> all right very good uh really pulled this from the from the jaws of defeat any way you look at it. it had to be one of the biggest turnaround plays of the year maybe longer
4: absolutely and you know i was watching with jordan co my, my co-host from situation room um we were at a bar in los angeles um we, it's the west wing and anybody out there from los angeles might be listening in um it's about like you know 30 or 40 ravens fans and when that kick went through the uprights and hit the uprights, It was you could hear a pin drop in the bar. There was everybody was just like holding their breath. We saw it go through the hands go up and it was like complete medley. It, it was it was just unbelievable. It, people, the reactions. Everybody was high fiving, hugs. Like it was just so improbable that that could happen and for it to actually go through. It was just amazing. And, and, you know, as soon as he kicked it, it was like, it was dead on. It was center. Yeah. Like it looked good like rotation had, on the football. Exactly, Everything It was like, Oh, right this here. has a chance. This actually could happen. And it, when it actually went through, what an amazing, what an amazing finish to that game.
5: Right. My, my fear of the, of the kick as I watched it was that it was taking the normal arc of the football, as opposed to being the line drive had that perfect end over end spin, which you normally see on a Tucker kick. That's going to make it from 50 yards. But this wasn't 50 yards, <laughs> and, uh, and even though a lot of Tucker's 50-yard kicks clear the bar by 5, 10 yards, we assume uh, this, this uh, you know, didn't know how to look at it other than to say it might be short if it's taking the normal rotational path.
3: Now, I was wondering, coming out of this, is after Tucker hit that 61 eight years ago, he kept wanting to go for it for 60 and kept trying to tell Harbaugh <laughs> to give it to him deeper. Now that he's got the sixty-eight, he's going to be even more in Harbaugh's ear to get to get more
5: opportunities like this. Yeah, it would it would not shock me if he takes a a sixty-plus attempt at Denver this next week.
4: Yeah, I mean. Mile High City, you have you have a chance to you know get an extra couple of yards added onto it. I think that was how the original it was Matt Elam who had the mm-hmm. the record for a while um, out there in Denver. And then was it was Prater also? I think
5: Prater might have been in Denver. In Denver. too. So, so, yeah.
4: so clearly you know the you know the air quality there um, it's a little it's a little easier for the ball to travel a few extra yards. Um, if, if the Ravens are in that position, I think he will definitely be given the opportunity. And you know I'd love to see him do two sixty-plus yard field goals in one season. That would be incredible.
5: Yeah, I, a lot of people might remember this from the 1970s, but if they are, they're my age. Tony Franklin, who was a barefoot kicker from the 1970s and early 80s, um, he, in college he kicked a 65-yarder uh, that I believe was the record at the time. Might have lasted the record might have lasted for one year, and then in the same game he also kicked a 64-yarder. That is so incredible, I can't even wrap my head around it. But uh, but then the Abilene Christian guy kicked one from 69 yards. So, that's the that's still the all-time record at any level. I should have said Jason
4: Elam. Matt Elam, of course, was the safety of the Ravens. <laughs> um, yeah, that, I tried to erase him from my memory, actually. But
5: <laughs> Fair enough. Let's talk defense, guys. Uh, we're down to uh, the Lions game here. And, uh, and obviously, not everything went well went perfectly on either side of the ball on the defense. A lot of guys out with COVID uh, the Ravens dealing with a, with obviously a very reduced defensive line with only four guys active, by the way, I don't know about you. That always makes me nervous whenever they have four defensive line active because you can always run into a situation where you get an injury in game and all of a sudden you're completely outgunned and you're, you're, you're putting the same guys on the field.
4: Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think some teams might be more, prone to take advantage of that kind of situation. And in this case, the, you know, I think the Lions were a team that, you know, had the personnel that it made sense for them to kind of, you know, push the Ravens a little bit in, in that way and, and keep them with a heavy defensive line unit out there more than they probably wanted to.
5: Right, absolutely. I, I, we definitely saw that right from the opening uh, opening play. Will Holden was in for a number of plays in this game, seven. In fact, they had another offensive lineman who, who had two plays and all their starters had, had, the, had the full complement. So those were extra offensive line snaps, um, including tight ends and fullbacks. They averaged 1.60 heavies per play. Now, last week, the Ravens averaged 1.82 in a game they were heavily protecting their tackles. So it gives you an idea of just how heavy they were trying to try to get in Detroit. And, and, you know, some teams can do it and some teams can't, as you you mentioned. Uh, Detroit did not have an effective first half, either running or passing the ball, which really helped the Ravens.
4: Yeah, that ability to build – a little bit of a cushion in the first half proved to be the difference in the game, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there, there were, I feel like the Lions were able to move the ball a little bit, but the Ravens were able to stop them on third down on some crucial positions at the, some crucial instances in that time. Um, and that really allowed them to, you know, build enough of a lead to keep that advantage going to the second half. Um, you know, I feel like there was some opportunities that the Lions definitely could have taken where they, could have pushed for the Ravens, you know, gone for it on maybe a fourth down. A couple penalties really hurt the Lions in those opportunities. So we got a little fortunate in those situations for sure.
5: Yeah, the the Ravens actually had six consecutive drive-ending plays. And they might not have been drive-ending plays because, as you mentioned, the penalties were after that in the first half. Sorry, one, two, three, four, five, six. So yes, yeah, six consecutive. So, all but the last drive of the first half were ended with a dime snap on third down. So, you brought in some fresh players. You took a defensive lineman off the field. So, they only had one on those plays. You only had one of your inside linebackers on the field. So, one of the other weaknesses was minimized. You got an extra dime back in there. And uh, and they look good on those plays. That's that's really what uh, what won the first half for them in a lot of ways. Uh, it's not like they were terrible uh, the rest of the time because the Lions did very little. Uh, Goff in particular did very little throwing the ball, uh, but a lot of the, what the Ravens accomplished was on third down.
4: Yeah, and in that first half, I think Goff or the the Lions, I should say, had a net. Less than 10 passing yards total, mm-hmm. in the first half, like it was a pretty dominant first half performance by the Ravens defense. Um, they, they got hit on a few plays on the ground, but for the most part, they really contained them. Um, you know, I think that things changed a little bit in the second half. The the game plan definitely changed. The Lions made some adjustments, um, or they were to the target. You know, some of the the weaknesses on the Ravens defense, especially a depleted uh, defensive unit.
5: Yeah, thir- 32 net passing yards on 18 plays in the first half. So uh, I just felt the need to look that up. I don't know why, but uh, uh, one point whatever per play, not very effective. Uh, McKenzie and Ellis. i th- I sorry. Uh, Ellis took a big workload in this game. said Washington. In this game, Uh, that was really nice to see on the defensive line. But, you know, looking at the whole defensive line situation, Campbell had a huge workload and was terrific. Maybe we talk about him a little later. Uh, Mackenzie and Ellis both. uh, Sorry, Washington and Ellis both both took big workloads. They were over 30 snaps each, if I recall. Uh, Played well, but also Mackenzie, you know, Mm -hmm. a a guy who's been tried out at guard in the NFL, but defensive tackle college. Now back to that, uh, I thought looked pretty good.
4: Yeah, I agree. Um I think his snap total is pretty small. It was like fifteen, fourteen or fifteen snaps. That's, that's approximately correct. Um but yeah, he he definitely I think he had he had a couple plays where I noticed him you getting some penetration on a couple run st- run downs. Um I I mean the Ravens were smart I think to bring in someone like that because they didn't really have anybody with uh, Aaron Crawford going out with the injury to be that kind of backup in the defensive tackle position on the practice squad. They brought in McKenzie and, you know, pretty early on he was given an opportunity um, and he showed he at least has some ability to play at the NFL level. And I think especially in this week where the Ravens were depleted, it was good to have him out there.
5: Yeah, it was uh, it was uh, was definitely helpful. He drew a big penalty, a big holding flag in the game that that negated an eight-yard run when the Lions were down around their old goal line. So that, uh, that really ended up well for the Ravens in terms of stalling that drive. So it was all positive. Uh, you know, I think the big story we want to talk about here is the inside linebacker problem right now. Uh, to me, it's a problem that just cannot be ignored for the Ravens. And what really showed up is just how poorly the Ravens played when they're in their base nickel package. And so when the, when the Lions put 11 personnel on the field and they realized in the second half this was really more the way to go than with the jumbo sets, um, they, they forced two inside linebackers onto the field, but also they forced their linebackers to have a bigger role in the run game, which they didn't hold up on, and they forced the linebackers to have a bigger role also in terms of pass coverage with three receivers on the field, which they didn't do well either. So it uh, it really kind of exposed the defense. But it, it, you can look at all the inside linebackers; they all had problems. Uh, but my eye is kind of focused on Patrick Queen for this game.
4: Yeah, you, you know, Patrick Queen obviously has been the topic of discussion basically since he was drafted. Um, I think we've had many conversations about him over the past you know year um, of what his role would be, what, how he's performing, you know, what, where he needs to get better. We thought there would be opportunities for him to prove in the second year, um, and maybe there have been you know a few glimpses of that. But a lot of the same issues we saw when he was a rookie are still showing up. And I'm just going to say, r- missed tackles are a huge issue. The run fits he seems to not have a good grasp of you know the hole that he should be hitting. Um, and, and when he is engaged by an offensive lineman, things go badly for him. He does he does not have the desire or the ability to get off of blocks, um, and that is a significant issue when he's your starting middle linebacker who's going to be out there on every single
5: snap. Yeah, and that's to me. It's it's a that's an issue you really can't get by in a guy. You need to be a run defender. Is is if first of all, if he doesn't have the ability to get off blocks, maybe it's a technical ability. Maybe you know the length is good enough, but the but the technique is not there, and he just hasn't learned how to quite do it. If the desire is not there and I'm I'm not I'm not ready to toss that on him. But this game, the level of effort was not there. And, you know, I, I watched him play and I'm wondering, does he have a shoulder injury? He's not wrapping up. He's he's avoiding the pile like a cornerback in the game. I just, what the hell is wrong? You know, you look at you, you, you watch him play Yeah, You you, have, you try and diagnose what it might be, but I mean, the, the block shedding is, is a problem. It's not the only thing. I mean, the, he, you know, he, he made six tackles. He led the team, but there were six others where he either took a bad path to the ball carrier or whiffed on the ball carrier, didn't wrap up whatever it might've been in terms of tackling. Uh, you know, I've got a number of things I want to point out, but that really is number one on the list.
4: Yeah. I feel like he, he feels okay with kind of being the guy who rallies to the ball after someone else has kind of wrapped it up or or made an attempt at the tackle. He doesn't seem to be the person who wants to aggressively, you know, diagnose and, you know, shoot the gap and you maybe make that tackle for loss or even try to take on like a pulling guard, for instance, he just seems (laughs) to be, (laughs) yeah, he seems to be completely allergic to contact. And when he does get engaged, he wants to play patty cakes with someone who's pushing him five yards down the field instead of trying to, you know, disengage and actually make a play on the ball. Right. It's, it's a consistent theme. And this game was like, it was one of the worst
5: I think I've seen out of him. Right i I would agree um, he, in in terms of the tackling and some of the problems he has going back to that, he really consistently fails to use his arms when tackling, and he seems to have an aversion to using his arms more when he 's there, and another player is there offensive or defensive he doesn 't want to wrap up and i don 't know whether there's a fear of injury or whatever, but I saw him approaching one ball carrier during this game, and you know he should be wrapping up, and there is another engaged player. But instead, he immediately he, he closes his arms as if he's folding them across his body almost, and throws his shoulder into the player. Well, you know that's just not as effective at the NFL level as it might have been in college. So you know he, he needs to he needs to fix that problem. And unfortunately, we're going to go through a few of these. But but the problems are so significant across the board that I really see. I, I mean, I don't see an easy easy path to fix path to fix them. Certainly, all at once, but even you know, even over an extended period. I think this is a this is a multi-year project to get this corrected. I don't think he'll come to starting the season next year and really have all of this fixed.
4: Yeah, it's really hard to see how he can turn it around in a short time period because, like you said, it's so many issues with him. It's not just the tackling; it's not just the run diagnosis. He's also having issues in coverage too. I mean, mm-hmm. so I think there were a few plays where I saw him. Diagnose well um, and get a good depth on a on a drop and be able to cut off like a, a read from the quarterback. But there are also plays where he was not paying attention. He got sucked in on play right. action on a numerous plays in this game. The play action response and it wasn't just him. The entire inside linebacker group was devastated by play action. They were they sucked in on the play action repeatedly and it was easy yardage gains for the Lions in this one. And and that's something that a more well Talented defense or offense, I should say, can take way more advantage of what the Lions were capable of doing because they were hitting Darren Fells on like play action passes where the linebackers were running completely the wrong direction and ignoring the the tight end coming in their across their face against a team that has better pass weapons and a better quarterback. They could be picked apart. Time and time again, this is something that could be a major problem for the Ravens moving forward.
5: Yeah, if we think of Ryan Tannehill, or you know, and he's not even the best quarterback in the league, but if it were certainly if it were Mahomes, uh, you know, it would have been a lot worse in terms of of uh, of how that uh, worked out. The, the impact in coverage, I my my concern used to be with him, and I have expressed this multiple times on the show that it's he has no understanding what's going on behind level two and level three, between level two and level three. That's bad. Okay, you can't affect a lot of things that are going on in the passing game if you don't understand the passing lanes, you don't understand where you need to be for the quarterback relative to the routes that are likely being run behind you without having to actually look at what route is being run behind you, but but diagnose it off the line of scrimmage. I have been constantly told that that takes more time than just about anything for a linebacker. Okay, that's fine then, but now his downhill diagnosis is so darn bad. And you talked about it here. It's it's not just getting sucked in on play action. It's not being able to diagnose a screen ever. It's it the other thing is just being way late on swing passes to the outside and you know, maintaining a short zone in the middle of the field or whatever the running back moves out. That's your guy. Okay? And you know, we we had a a game where uh, Swift went off in the second half and he had 60, no, sorry, 56 yards of receptions in the second half, which is a lot for a running back and, you know, not a lot in the grand scheme of things. You can have one wide receiver, get a 56 yard pass, but a lot for those plays and how that broke down was 14 yards Minus 14 yards on the catch. So the average was behind the line of scrimmage by 2.8 yards. And then 70 yards of yak. So that's where the Ravens are giving it up. And it is uh, the other linebackers are are at fault too. That wasn't 100% Queen. But Queen doesn't know where he is on the field. and And he's not understanding his obligation to cover that running back swinging out.
4: Yeah. And part of the problem, what you mentioned, is the Ravens don't have a linebacker who is good in that area. Based an inside linebacker, yeah. you know they they when they lost um, L.J. Fort, Fort for the season, okay. I was really disappointed by that because he had such a pivotal role over the past two years. You know he was one of the players that Decosta identified and brought in in 2019 as this is someone who can help us out, and and he was the person who was out there on dime packages covering in space, and he's he can cover tight ends, he can cover running backs, and he's smart in zone coverages and his zone drops, and he's mm-hmm. aggressive moving downhill that's not anything that Patrick Queen has. And it's not what any of the other inside linebackers on this team have as well. Malik Harrison is sluggish in space. Chris board has, you know, in theory, the speed, but he's also a really bad tackler in
5: space. Same as Queen and not a good cover guy. Not a good yeah. cover guy. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they put him out there as the proxy dime last year, and it really hurt the Ravens on exactly. third down to, to do that. And, and you know, he's he's not the guy they want out there either, honestly. I, I board is probably a better tackler than he showed last year because he, he hadn't been missing tackles prior to last year and then he missed a whole bunch uh but but uh but still i'm 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 not sold on him as a tackler i he, he by the way did tackle well in this game he didn't he didn't have a miss that i noted anyway uh and he did have a couple stops particularly uh, around the goal line i i want to get back to one more thing about queen though because the saving grace for patrick queen at least last year and and a lot of his splash plays came rushing the passer and you know if he has to use that very slippery speed of his to get into the backfield. Well, there's two problems with that. Number one is that you have to actually have a threat of him not rushing for the defense for the offensive line not to account for him. Even for the running back not to account for him. If the running back knows, "Hey, it's third down. We know Patrick Queen's coming. Don't even bother about the other guys. they the, the dime back, he's going to be in coverage. Patrick Queen is definitely rushing." Well, the, the, the issue with that is you know exactly what he's doing. And on he had three off-ball blitzes in this game where he was the solo off-ball blitzers. He had a fourth where he was one of two. But I'm going to focus on the three where he's the only guy coming from off-ball to blitz. All three of those, he was stonewalled by a running back or the fullback. Uh, all of them, and this is really terrible, when you use a blitz, all three of them ended up as ample time and space plays. I mean, it's just, I can't even tell you how bad that is to 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 rush an extra man, create an ample time space. Not a ball out quick, you know, not a pressure, but 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 he has a full three seconds to throw despite the fact you sent an extra man. That's really bad. And incredibly golf through for three yards, two or three incomplete and one pass for three yards on this place. But, you know, you hit on it earlier, a good quarterback would have really made a peg.
4: Yeah, and I think it just goes back to the lack of physicality that we see out of Queen. Um, because if he's more... You know, aggressive in those blitzes. If he goes into that running back or that fullback with bad intentions and says, mm-hmm. "I'm going to go through you on my way to the quarterback," then you have to really account for that. And and yeah. and that's something that we haven't seen out of him. He just seems like he's perfectly fine with accepting physicality at, from the opponent and saying, "Okay, you're going to block me. That's fine. I'm just going to let you block me." He needs to have. I don't know if it's a mental block for him, or if it's like a if he maybe there's some lingering issue. In terms of an injury, I don't know if that's the case. It hasn't been on the injury report that I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, but there needs to be something that gets through to him in terms of you need to up your physicality and be willing to like play like a Raven and you know take exactly it to right. that guy. And he hasn't
5: reached that level yet. Yeah, they, they pulled him out for one play on the 11-play drive in the third quarter. They pulled him out after five plays. I don't think it was an equipment issue. I think it was a coaching moment. And they said something to him. I think there would have been another talking to a come to Jesus meeting, if you will, after the game where Harbaugh or Ryan or Martindale, one of those three comes to him and says, Hey, look, you're not going to be playing Mike linebacker any longer for this team. If you can't up your game, every part of your game is deficient. You know, let's, we need to figure it out. I want to help you get there. If you're Rob Ryan, if you're Don Martindale, you say that, but you know, At some point, he has to accept these problems personally. One of the things that I've noticed in camp, and I was very excited about Queen's potential progress with Ryan early on, because they were working together, and Rob Ryan was walking around, moving a towel around, and it seemed to be very coverage-related and trying to get Queen to understand different cover- coverage concepts. I love when that kind of one-on-one coaching is going on. But here's the problem. If those sessions were going on in a 20-minute period where the team was practicing special teams, And as the summer rolled on, he when Queen is still not playing special teams. And he spent that time leaning on a tackling donut for most of that time. Now, Ryan might have been talking to him for some of it, but they weren't actively participating nearly as much as the summer rolled on. And that that to me is very disappointing because particularly where we are right now, if I thought that he'd made a lot of progress and I'd seen that, I think nothing of it. But but in, in this case, I see a guy who's still raw as hell. You know, the effort level is not at the proper level. And I'm very disappointed that that time has been, frankly, wasted.
4: Yeah. And it, honestly, it's hard to see what the next step is, because you're in the middle of a season, you know, you have high expectations for the defense for the year. It's, it's just hard to see what the options are. When we talked about the other inside linebackers, it's not like you can turn to somebody else and be like, this is a clear, some like, I don't know. Is Christian Welch like the answer? I I don't think he's someone who is going to really come in and, and be a difference maker for the team on inside the linebacker. I may be wrong about that, but how do you kind of get to into his head and say this is what needs to happen? Where you going to be, sit down. You, if you look at the film after this game, how can you be in the film room and then in that linebacker room and watch him just being allergic to contact and say this is acceptable Ravens football? Like I don't I don't know how you. If he's a player who's really going to make it in this team, how he doesn't have a significant change, and if he's not capable of doing it, he's just not going to make it. Because I I just don't see how much how much longer the leash can be. Him.
5: I mean, I, I, I agree completely. And if you look, the Ravens have acted very decisively in the past. 2000. Let's do a little history. 2018, they had a great linebacking core. Still had C.J. Mosley in his last year. Great teacher. Good understanding of coverage responsibilities. Good playing the run. Really was great successor to Ray Lewis and, and, a, and a, a great guy to have at inside linebacker if you can afford to have him. They had, at the Will linebacker spot that year, a fantastic platoon of players who complement each other very well. We've talked about this before, but they had uh, Patrick Owasso who was a good pass rusher and, and provided some defense against the run, although he wasn't that certainly wasn't his real strength. Not a great coverage guy, but mostly a good pass rusher. Kenny Young, who was fast sideline to sideline, could give you some pursuit speed, gave you a little bit as a pass rusher. And then you had Anthony Levine having the best year ever by a Ravens dimeback, who effectively is replacing that will linebacker on third down. That was an unbelievable platoon. They put up tremendous numbers, tackles, PDs, sacks that would – Outstrip almost any other inside linebacker in the game, and you know that that team was so good. But then they decided we'll let Mosley go, which they did, and I understand the reasons for doing so. But they they could not. They decided that their platoon players were good enough to play full time, and they weren't. Uh, They were asked to do a whole bunch of things they weren't any good at. Patrick Owasso got the green dot, was confused, I think, by that, but certainly was not good enough to play the Mike linebacker and the additional run responsibilities that go with that. And, you know, Kenny Young had some other issues, perhaps, perhaps with the playbook, but was traded for Marcus Peters. And, and uh, uh, Levine um, was injured in 2019 for part of the year. And, and Kenny and, uh, and Clark came in and played dime. And he was the guy who really saved the defense, along with the acquisitions of Bynes and Fort after week four, which I've never seen a team address so decisively a two-man problem like that. At midseason, it was just it was remarkable that DeCosta was able to do that to me.
4: Yeah, you know, I think he definitely targeted or identified what, what the need was. Um, it was it was leadership, and it was ability to cover. And he got two guys: one who could be a leader out there, who was experienced on the field, he was in the right place, he was able to tackle, um, and. And the other guy, uh, LJ Fort, who was someone who could be out there on in the dime package and really mm-hmm. excel in that role, that the role that they had, you know, done really well with in 2018. So I don't know who's out, if there is somebody out there, um, you know, we've seen Kenny Young move to LA and actually he's kind of turned around his career. He's been mm-hmm. a, an important member of their team now, um, you know, good for him. Um, he's someone who, he took that athleticism, he took that sideline to sideline speed and he's actually been an impactful player in that Rams defense. I don't know if there's somebody out there. I mean, there there might be somebody. It's it's hard to say. I don't know if there's anybody like who's an unrestricted free agent who's just available to be picked up. Um, it's, it's I think maybe the practice squad might be the best place with with Bynes. He might be the best opportunity
5: they have. Yeah, I, I mean, I I think you might be right. And and if you look around the league's practice squads, they're vet heavy this year. They are tremendously vet heavy. And you know, one of the problems is with the with the draft being so light because of the COVID year. There just aren't as many rookies and year one players who are out there available on the street. So your, your level of street player has gone down at the start of the season to a much more level, much lower level than it's been in other years. So you're effectively your replacement level. Just is is lower, so this is, is very disappointing. Obviously, this is a very negative pod we're having it after a thrilling nineteen to seventeen win. Um, but but I really see the Ravens as having four options this 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 at this point, Gabe. And I'd love you to tell me which one you would take. They can continue with Queen and hope his play improves. Um, one of the things you know, whenever I hear the word hope used with a situation like this, where a lot of things are wrong, I think about that old Simpsons episode where they have to rebuild Flanders' house. And Apu says we we had a wheelbarrow full of hope and and they sorry, a wheelbarrow full of love and a cement mixer full of hope and some cement. <laughs> and, and I'm not saying the line right, but you get the ideas. There has to be something more there than just hope. They have to actually have something to 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 build on here with uh with Queen. I, I where are you is is that a reasonable possibility as far as you're concerned at this point? Honestly,
4: I think it's the most likely outcome. I think that's based on You know, Patrick Queen being a first-round pick, um, kind of seeing the progression that he has or hasn't made, I I don't see him being yanked right away. I I think he's the most likely option is is just keeping him out there and and hoping that he gets better. Um, That's going to come to an end at some point. It it won't last forever. For me, what I would say, I would just say go dime heavy. I I think Mm -hmm. that is the answer. Um, And maybe if you're having an outside linebacker out there, maybe it's Chris Board because of the athleticism maybe it's give welch a chance um you know you can have harrison out there on early downs i don't think he can be out there on passing downs um but i would say yeah, definitely dime heavy lean on lean on um bowser you know he can cover pretty Mm -hmm. well um he's someone you can use in some in some of those dime packages where you have three four outside linebackers out there
5: i think that's the direction i would go with it Okay, so that's certainly one of the options is to play Bowser more off ball in dime packages, still play four outside linebackers in total. with one defensive lineman and six defensive backs. And then you get coverage from Bowser and, and, it, and it could be Oway too for that matter. And and you also get coverage from your linebacker. Probably reduces your flexibility of coverage a little bit, but not by as much as as you otherwise get reduced in terms of flexibility by having a uh, Queen or any of the other current inside linebackers on the field. Queen or board would be the I guess the two who would be a consideration at this point. Getting getting back to Queen Is there a a role that you can carve out for him that's more limited where he can do that and improve on a more limited set of skills – that will help him contribute quickly and then graduate, pick up one skill at a time until he can be, get back to three down play. Because, I mean, I'm wondering, you know, he, he did do some things as a pass rusher. Maybe what you're talking about in terms of, you know, you got to treat every interaction with a running back like it's an Oklahoma drill, not like it's a, oh, a, it's a tie if we if we engage each other.
4: Yeah. I, I mean, it's really hard to see what, what the package that he excels in because he's just kind of been really bad across the board. Maybe... He is out there on some passing downs, um, maybe like the third and longs, where he can be a blitzer and just do that. Um, but I'm honestly like, I don't even want him out there on early downs. I feel like he's he, as much as a liability, if not more of a liability, oh, sure. on run defense. And I think you can get by with Bynes and Harrison as your two like early down linebackers. And honestly, I think that's a switch I would make before. Maybe even taking him off the field in coverage because at least he has you know that sideline to sideline speed that you, you can use if you can teach him to diagnose and maybe that's just what you're teaching him, get, getting him to be like a good coverage linebacker. Maybe that's what his role on this team has to be. And you can you can lean on Harrison, you can lean on Bynes on the early downs, and that, that makes him, make the life simpler for for Queen and make it easier
5: for the entire defense to kind of figure out their roles. I I definitely think that, that could be a, a step because if he's in it on the dime package, it does restrict the effectiveness of the dime. Undoubtedly, that's true. But he can still rush the quarterback and he can be a downhill pass coverage guy. I don't think you're going to be able to teach him in any reasonable amount of time, certainly not before next year, how to understand what's going on and behind him in level two and three. And that is a lot of what happens on third down. You have third and seven, third and eight. And the weakness of the team is between level two and three. That quarterback will find it. I mean yep. it's it, cuz he has to get that many yards in order to to convert and uh you know it's unfortunate but uh, it is what it is. I you know it'll be interesting to see what happens this off season cuz I don't think uh trading him is out of the question. I do kind of think benching him completely at this point would not be the right thing to do because I think there's too much of a chance he um shutters up and, and really uh, becomes very unhappy with the organization. You know, you, perhaps you could even trigger other problems with them. But you don't even want to think about that possibility that, that you know, this all of a sudden means Patrick Queen wants to be out of Baltimore because you, you shut him down. It's got to be a, a, a constructive methodology of, hey, we're going to build you up again one, one, set, one coverage type or, sorry, one responsibility at a time.
4: Yeah, I think that makes sense then for kind of in the keep him maybe out there in in like the nickel packages only, for instance, and say, mm-hmm. you know, just just point to the film and be like, this is this this is an acceptable run defense. You can't play the, the run this way and, and be out there on those downs. And and we have two guys. I mean, I assume that would mean, you know, bringing binds onto the roster as you know, a full time player, because you can't, just, you can only elevate him from the practice squad. I guess he was a COVID elevation. So I yeah, guess he has two, two more left. times, two yeah. more times, but, and, and maybe that's a temporary, like a temporary solution. And you have Bynes brought up the next two weeks. And this is kind of like, we're going to figure it out for his next two weeks and see if Bynes can fill that role next to Harrison and have Queen come in on the sub packages. Um, that might be an approach to take and kind of see how that works. Um, and then if you need to, you can, you know, bring Bynes on as a, as a 53 man, you know, part of the roster. I, I'm sure. I mean, unfortunately there probably will be an injury to re- that's going to need to be replaced at some point just by the nature of the NFL. Oh, sure. Um, so th- that's probably something that can happen. Um, I, I just, I feel like the Ravens, the way they want to play, they want to stop the run and then they want to put you in third and longs. And if, if you can't, you know, stop the run, if you have a guy like Queen who's a liability out there, it's, it's going to make those third downs, you know, and also the early downs when, when he's out there and not knowing what to do when, when the team is passing, it's, he just, doesn't have a role out there in in those in those um, packages, so I think you need to really kind of sit him down and, and restrict what he, what he's doing. That I think that makes the no most sense.
5: Okay. All right. Well, one of the unfortunate things is there's there's no other inside linebacker who's obviously going to win his job away. And the other problem is the Ravens don't have a cap to go out to the to the market and get somebody. So they've done all these moves. They've kept the roster at fifty one to. Continue to not spend week to week cap dollars. That's just how tight this franchise is right now in terms of cap. They don't have an easy extension to make. Um, you know they they can they can put they can force forward more money on Marcus Peters' contract, which I believe is the only one they have left. But doing so really means they're they're, they're likely to have to not have to keep Peters, but they're they're putting off more dollars from this year, which they probably don't want to do. And you know it's just there's there's not a there just isn't a good solution and, and they really need to find somebody. Uh, I think, I think if they had the guy, they would figure out how to do it financially, but I don't think that the Costa has yet identified the guy who could really help them to take a significant portion of this role. There's not an LJ Ford out there this time around.
4: Right. And, and, and it's, it's, it might just have to be, we're going to, I mean, obviously we have the players we have on the roster, on our practice squad, and we're going to try and put people in different positions. Um, it's going to be trial by fire um yeah. see see what works and it's going to be you know you have a game you have maybe two games see how you fit if you if you do well then you can stick there but if not you're going to, we're going to try to try something else and that's really the only way they have to go about it
5: yeah very very possible that's the way it ends up uh Ends up working. Uh, let's let's move on with the rest of the show because we can't have this show be all about Patrick Queen. I mean, it was a win. The defense did some positive things. Uh, I thought Jared Goff really identified the weakness that the Ravens had in the second half, in particular. They had 217 gross yards passing in this game. 168 of those were yak. 49 non-yak yards. Okay, and they they had some minuses in that total. You know, because a lot of those passes were behind the line of scrimmage, but uh, that's not a lot of. Depth of target yards, air yards. That's the correct term.
4: Yeah, I think I can only recall two passes, maybe more than twenty yards downfield. One was the mm-hmm. PI on Jimmy Smith. The other was the uh, Anthony Averett play down down the sideline, where he had where he had his guy well covered. Yeah. Um, I, I can't recall another. There might have been one more, but he was, golf was definitely looking you know, behind the line of scrimmage, quick passing. Um, that was pretty much their only their options and, and kudos to the Ravens cornerbacks. Cause it, I mean, that's the strength of their team still, yep. even, even with Peters out, they still have a very strong defense. We, we got Jimmy Smith back in this game. I think he wasn't out there very much. He, he had that actually, I guess there was that one other play where he made on that second end of the second half, um, drive that the Lions had where where he made that pass break off. So I guess there was Mm -hmm. three like kind of down the field passes that Goff attempted. Um, so it was, it was nice having Smith out there. Uh, I think he's going to have a slightly larger role as the, as the season continues. Um, but overall, you know, good job by the secondary. Uh, I I think, you know, really well played game, good game plan going into it. Um, so that's, that's good to see. Hopefully they can learn to tackle better and take away Mm -hmm. that yard after catch.
5: Okay. With, with, uh, with, Elliot not there. Smith's presence was really important because he came in. He was playing in the dime package initially, uh, a, pl- a role that had been given to Stevens. But then with Elliot gone, he was playing on the back end. Um, Elliot was also Clark moved up front, and they played more dime that way as well. So they were able to continue with the dime even though they didn't have him. They could do it with Geno Stone too, by the way. But but Jimmy Smith was getting playing time, getting meaningful snaps. I thought he looked pretty good as a pass defender in this game.
4: Yeah, and just goes to the depth that the Ravens have in their secondary. And honestly, the entire defense, like the fact that they were able to just put the players they had out there with the number of players that they had on the COVID list, on IR, really impressive depth of this Ravens roster. That, that's what won this game. It was yeah. it was their depth.
5: Yeah, I, yeah, I agree, and they they used up the last little bit of it in this game. But yeah, absolutely, they they did. Real, real sorry to see. You, uh, Dalen Hayes went on IR today. Yeah. We don't know if it's season ending or whatnot, but uh, uh, he's eligible to come back in three weeks. Jeff Zerbeck reported. Uh, Zerbeck reported that he didn't think it was season ending today, or or he had heard that it was not season ending necessarily. So that's at least some good news.
4: Yeah, and you know one of the things I was a little surprised by was that they didn't elevate Chris Smith off the practice squad to be active in this game. I wonder if he's someone that they'll consider bringing up um, with, with Hayes going on the IR. Um, They kept him around for a reason. You know, he definitely flashed in the preseason. I think he's someone who could add a little juice to the pass rush.
5: Yeah, he'll, he'll be taken by somebody, I would think. I, there, I, I can't think of any reason why he wouldn't have been elevated for this game because he exactly met their needs in the front five of a guy who can kick inside, you know, play a little bit of emergency five tech if you need him for that, and also, also play outside linebacker. Um, but, but they didn't do it. I, the only thing I can think of is that he's dealing with some sort of a minor injury, mm-hmm. and the, the practice squad I don't believe has injuries reported. So only the it's only the 53-man roster that goes on the injury report. So if there was something going on, we really wouldn't know about it. That makes sense then. All right. Uh, I thought awful coaching decision by the Rams coming down the stretch on the last drive to basically look at all of the facts that were going on there. And, and let's, let's review this for a second. Because Dan Campbell, ex-tight end in the league, I think, right? Is that where he played? I Try honestly
4: can't tell you. Okay. I thought he was a defensive guy, but
5: maybe not. You, you could be right. He could have been a defensive end easily because he's a, he's a tall, you know, a uh, uh, guy. Uh, you know, he looked at that situation. He's got a kicker that looked like he's about the most nervous kicker I've ever seen. He plays it straight. He plays it, you know, stone facedly like, uh, you, you know, he, he's, he's okay with it, but he was shanking kick after kick left that they had on video that they were showing on the thing. It didn't look comfortable basically from any yardage. Uh, I thought if there, if you're ever going to ice the kicker, That's the kicker you want to do it to right there. The Ravens didn't have a timeout, but but it would have been fun. Um, And, and yeah, it it was just – it was a strange situation. You got that, and you've got some field goal risk just at the start whenever you have to kick that field goal. Then you give the ball back to the Ravens with a minute left, and it's actually turned out to be a minute and four. Mm -hmm. And on the other sideline, you've got Lamar Jackson, who's a great two-minute quarterback. He just doesn't often get into a two-minute drill because the Ravens don't often – aren't in tight late games, but he's closed out a bunch of games already. And, 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 you know, it's, it's a, I I think that's not a guy I'd want to face in that situation. You've got the greatest kicker of all time on the other sideline. And I had some other reason in here that I know I was thinking about in my article and I can't remember what it was, but uh, just, it's, it's a, it was a strange decision to not go for the first down when a first down wins the game.
4: Yeah. I mean, we saw, Obviously, John Harbaugh did the exact opposite. The previous mm-hmm. week, where he had the opportunity to win the game on fourth win down. the yep. game with with a with a conversion, and he went for it. And if he had given, if he had not converted, if they had given the ball back, they would have lost the game. They would they would mm-hmm. given the ball back at the forty yard line, and that would have been game over. But he had enough faith in his offense and in his in his quarterback to make that call. I feel like Dan Campbell throughout the entire game, even when he they had the ball on those those fourth and ones a couple times. They had a fourth and one, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't think he ever actually was going to go for it. I think they were trying to draw the Ravens off <laughs> every single time. I never actually believed that they were going to go for it. I don't think he has the balls to say, to go for it. I don't think he, he's such a conservative coach. I don't think he was going to do it.
5: Well, I mean, the two things about that. One is we have no faith in Jared Goff. And the other thing it's it's that's a really poorly coached team that you you're not wearing earmuffs offensively on a play like that. I mean there's just there's really no excuse, especially when you jump off at tackle or someplace on the outside. Okay, I mean it's you're not the key to making that run work if you're a tackle. The three interior offensive line guys are and they got to be on perfect cadence knowing what's going on and they usually are. It's it's usually you know that the tackle jumping just really bad. So anyway, it was what it was. Thank you, Lions, for, yeah. uh, for for gifting us. That game is about all we can say. I, I want to go through some packages really quickly here, and we're going to roll quickly because we want to get back to players here. Um, the base defense played very well. It was very effective versus the Lions heavy packages. Information's out there in the article, but they held the the Lions to about four yards per play on on those heavy base packages. The only other two defenses they played a lot, they played a couple snaps of goal line and, and one snap of short yardage in an unusual situation. Um, those went fine, so there was, there was no issue with those. It's the nickel. They they ran effectively against the nickel, and they passed effectively against the nickel. And since they ran a lot more, you can really see it in the, in the runs. But the passes, you know, Goff didn't have a particularly off-the-charts game in terms of his passing, but his passes against the nickel were – PL5, PR8, PR5, PR12, PR11, PL14, PR19, PL9, PM2, and incomplete. So it was 9 of 10, I think, for 85 yards. That's too good for Jared Goff to be against your team. And, and the, the reason was he was figuring out how to exploit those inside linebackers.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And it just goes to what we're saying. When those two linebackers are on the field, they don't have, one, the ability to diagnose where to be when mm-hmm. those quick passes are happening. And two, they don't have like the recognition and speed to make make the play in the open field. Um they were they were slow to diagnose, they were slow to get there. And that put a lot of the, you know, the emphasis on the secondary to make the plays. Um I thought from a schematically schematic purpose, the the, the Lions actually schemed up some of those screens pretty well. You know, they had blockers mm-hmm. out in place. Oh, yeah. They did get, they did a good job of getting their players behind some blockers and, and it made it difficult on the Ravens secondary. Um, so give them some props for a well-executed, you know, ability to get that yard after catch, but the Ravens definitely need to be better at, at diagnosing it. And that's, that's an issue with inside linebackers. And I don't even know from a secondary perspective, maybe you can play a little bit more like in their face, a little more press. They didn't do that very much in this game. That might affect it a little bit and try to kind of be faster to the ball. But I Honestly, I think that wasn't this game wasn't on the secondary. I think the secondary played
5: very well in this one. Yeah, I'd agree. The secondary played well. They missed some tackles. Elliott missed a tackle. Humphrey missed a tackle mm-hmm. or two. Uh, you know, so it's not like they didn't have their own share of missed tackles. The 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 guys that need also to diagnose the screen and the guys have always done it in Ravens history, especially we think back to Jarrett Johnson and Trail Suggs as the outside linebackers, yep. and so that gives you the best chance that edge defender to run laterally down the line of scrimmage and blow up that screen. At minus five, you got a couple guys who are already cheating the line of scrimmage. They're probably at plus one looking for their blocks. They can't get back there and block an edge defender. He has to either be sealed, so he has to be trapped to the inside, or if he gets to the outside, it's usually play over grounded football. Okay. And or worse. Sometimes it ends up worse for the for the offense than that. Um, but it, it's it's you know, the outside linebackers also did not do their job this this game in terms of diagnosing that. So a lot of things went wrong. Obviously the, the um the inside linebackers are gonna take most of the burden as I think they should in this game, but uh there were other breakdowns here as well in terms of what the Ravens were doing.
4: Yeah. Um and, and I give more of a pass to the outside linebackers because they were more impacted by the players available, yes. um, they're they playing a lot more snaps than they normally would. Um, you know, Pernell McPhee is not really that guy who's going to be quickly. I mean, I mean, he's he's smart, he's a good veteran, but he's not necessarily going to be the guy who can like chase down a screen as well as you might expect, like a Tyus Bowser to, for instance. And from an athletic perspective, um, so I think they missed you know having a guy like like Justin Houston out there, like that veteran savvy um, who still has a little bit of, of that juice in his legs. Um, and, you know, I think I think McPhee played a good game in terms of like his, his ability to rush. Um, he was probably one of their more consistent pass rushers off the edge in this one. Um, but, you know, it, it was definitely, a, I think, having some issues with, with just being out there so often. He played more snaps than he would in a regular game.
5: Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree. I think Owe and Bowser both have the speed. And Owe may not be at a point of recognition yet, but that's actually... He's, he's a, a fairly impressive football player in terms of savvy uh, from what I'm seeing. And maybe all that time spent, you know, where Penn state really was relying on him to be the red light guy. Where, where who's the other guy on the other side they had, who was a fairly decent pass rusher. He's at the NFL. Now he played with him. Uh, I'm going to forget his name, but anyway, if, if he was more of a run defender and more of a guy who's, who's locking the back door and and they weren't letting him rush the passer uh, in, in as Frequently, as the other guy got, got the opportunity, even though oh, a much better pro prospect.
4: Um, uh, I think he was drafted by Panthers, right? I, I, I can't, gross Matos. Is that is that no, where?
5: no, 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 these it was from several years ago, so uh, it's, it'd be like 2020 Penn State pass rushers. Um, let me get this down here because it's going to drive me nuts if I don't do it. Um,
4: yeah. I was just thinking of uh, Yeter Matos. He was the yeah, only he, one that I can think of. He
5: was. Yeah, I me mean, He's a good one. Um, but I tell you what, Josh, can you look that up for us? Who was who was the other edge rusher for Penn State other than Owe in 2020? All right, I'll look I into appreciate it. Appreciate that. Um, we we talked about the dime package a little bit. I want to go back to that. Um, yeah. But but they did. A fairly effective job of playing dime, it was one of the defenses what's the problem was they never got to a point in the game where they had the lead that they can play dime every down yeah. and that you you want to play a dime heavy defense and be like the two thousand and nineteen ravens play over forty two percent dime you got to have the lead a lot yeah. that's that's really the trick to getting there <laughs> you know the other team can have a lot of snaps at the end of the half uh, you can get some that way uh, at the end of the first half where they have to pass. Um, but you, but you really need to have it. You can't do it alone with down and distance. You have to do it with, with game situation. Go ahead, Josh. It is Shaka Tony. That's it. Shaka Tony. Mm. Yeah. So uh, he's, uh, uh, you know, anyway, uh, I, I'll, 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 all I was going to say was that I thought always, um, understanding of the game might've been, might've benefited from being opposite Shaka Tony. He was getting green lit more.
4: Yeah. I think that that could definitely be the case and and getting back to what you're saying about the dime package and, and the situation where it is more effective. You know, I was talking with Josh before you came on about how one or two different offensive plays could have completely changed the script mm-hmm. of this game. You know, and I know we're on the defensive podcast, but you know, if Hollywood Brown makes one or two of those catches, we're looking at like a, a 24 to nothing score oh, yeah. instead of a 10 to nothing score. And then you that, can unleash the defense and the dime package and have them rushing. And just and, and that game looks completely
5: different if that happens. Yeah, I, I agree completely. It wouldn't have been – if, if they had gone pass, pass, pass to the running back, they would have scored probably at some point. But they wouldn't have been able to get anything going. It would have been a nightmare for Goff. And he would have been – really felt pressured right out of that building, frankly, I think, if, if that had happened. And it, you're, you're right. I mean, it was – they lost a couple touches. Sammy Watkins had a ball uh, that he could have tracked better. And uh, there were three balls to Brown. One of them was tipped. So he Mm -hmm. gets a pass on that one, but two others. So, you know, they're, they're very catchable footballs behind the defense and maybe not both scores, but both putting the Ravens in the red zone, uh, you know, with a chance to score.
4: Yep. Definitely the case. So, you know, I think they definitely, the first half didn't go as well as it could have. And then in the second half, the Ravens got exposed a little bit because of the personnel. I think that's, that's frankly how it happened. And the Ravens really, I think, need to be a team that can get those two score leads and stick and stay on top of those two score leads, or they might be in trouble this year.
5: Yeah. I, I And I agree. And, and it's this is why I'm so frustrated by the inside linebacker situation right now is I think this season could easily unravel before we get to the quote unquote important games. You know, I think... Maybe it was you or maybe I was talking to Jordan. It might have been Jordan about what's the next big game. We got a question in the mailbag that the Ravens have to look forward to. I think Jordan said, you know, week 12 against the Browns. And I'm like, okay, well, the Ravens aren't good enough for that to be their next important game. I mean, first of all, they play the Chargers. They play some other teams in between who are conference rivals for a wild card, which may be where the Ravens are. I don't think they're good enough to win the North right now from what I can see. I think the Browns are easily the class of the division. So it, it may come down to, you know, wh- who can they beat out for a wild card? It may be important that they beat the Chiefs in a game for, for, for strength of, of victory. It may be really important that they take care of the Colts and that they take care of the Chargers. I mean, I think those are the big games for the Ravens right now that are coming up.
4: Yeah, I think, I mean, honestly, next week, can you, sure. can you go into Denver against a 3-0 Denver team with a really good defense and beat them? Um, that's going to be a big test. And I mean, I think the Ravens are probably a better home team than a road team at, at this point. I think that's pretty fair to say. I know it's pretty early in the season, but I think those things matter. Um, and the Denver's not an easy place to play in. Um, I, I don't know what the line looks like for that one, but I, I'd imagine it's probably close to a pick em if, if if not the Broncos being favored. Um, it's That's going to be a tough game. And the Ravens' defense as it stands now, I think they, they can match up in terms of their secondary, but... I feel like the Broncos might be able to run on them. Um, they have some speed and, and they have some ability to get to the edge. That, that That's where the Ravens are really at their weakest. I know they'll be getting some reinforcements next year or next right. week, I should say. Um, and that could make a big difference in, in, in comparing how these two weeks differ, but um, seeing how the inside linebackers in this one play, that's something that I'm worried about.
5: Right. I, I, I agree. I'm, I'm really concerned. Josh, do you have questions from the mailbag or anything you want to jump in with before we keep going? We've got some player stuff here to talk about.
3: Yeah, let's get to the mailbag, but let's first mention TickPick, because they're back with us
5: today. That's
3: T-I-C-K, P-I-C-K, as in tickets pick. Uh, No need to search over the internet anymore for your Ravens tickets, because TickPick, T-I-C-K, P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only site you need for all your NFL tickets. They got rid of all those uh, awful service fees, and they guaranteed the best prices. If you find it cheaper for the same seats, they'll give you 110% of the difference price. Uh, Spence reached out this week, uh, wanted to use the code because he wanted they was, he was looking to the same game I'm looking at, Thursday Night Football down in Miami. That's going to be an attractive game for Raven fans to jump on. And he went on to TickPick. Use the code Ravens and saved his $10. So head over to TickPick.com slash Ravens and use the code Ravens when you check out for $10 off your tickets and the show support for Film Study.
5: Looking forward to that Miami game. Go be down there and see you for that, Josh. And Spencer, you too.
3: Yeah. Yeah, it'll be great. Let's get to the mailbag. This is using the hashtag Film Study Mailbag over on Twitter. All right. First one up from Brad outside of the inside linebackers getting better in a hurry. Do you see a path for the Ravens to get significantly better on defense this year?
5: I'll start with this. I think there's, there's two ways they can get better. One is return of health. So I think a lot of the COVID recovery is going to bring back some of the players. I don't know what Derek Wolf's situation is right now, but he's essential to this defensive line. So they really need to get him back. Um, and I think they're, they're, you know, we're going to have to see how this team reacts to the current COVID situation in terms of what it means for unvaccinated players and how they'll react to that.
4: Yeah, I would agree. I think health is a big part of that. And I think the one thing that we saw this past week, the Ravens don't have a four man pass rush, especially if they don't have, you know, Justin Houston and Justin Matabike out there. Um, they really need to get those guys that they're going to be able to generate any kind of pressure in those four man pressure looks. Um, that's going to be a key to them being successful against, you know, some, some real offenses and they, they need to get that better if they're going to be more successful.
3: And that that brings you to I me mean, to Andrew's question, who's wondering how much of the issues that the Ravens had with Swift can we blame on the
5: depleted uh, defensive line there? I, I don't think I'd blame it on the defensive line at all. The problems with Swift were, were pretty much inside linebacker and missed tackle problems. Not not entirely inside linebacker because it's somewhere in the secondary as well, but um, that's where I'd put the blame. I think the, the defensive line played so much above expectation in this game from my perspective, I can't even say. And and Owe was one of the players who really stood out to me as well in, in terms of his outside linebacker play.
4: Yeah, I, I agree with, with Ken on that. The defensive line, I thought, played exceptionally well considering who was available for them. Um, they weren't, the, when Detroit was able to run on them, it was off tackle. You know, it was outside. It was the linebackers not getting to the ball for the most part. And then also the, the swift short passing game um, and th- that was more so on the linebackers than anything else as well. Okay. So I, I think the defensive line played really well. Um, and, you know, once they get Wolf back, once they get Matt at back, uh, I think it's going to be one of the, one of the better units and strengths
3: of this team. For sure. Yeah, All right, Connor's wondering about Washington, and since we saw a bunch of him yesterday, does that mean we're going to get to see even more?
5: You know, if, as as people get healthy, I think you probably see less. But I'm really, it's one of the really great things that Bradrick Washington was able to step up, play a really good game, made a couple of very key run stops, including one on the on the last Detroit drive for minus four. Uh, just just he played well in a, in a situation where the Ravens really needed him to play well. And, and it turned what should have been a big weakness into not a big weakness at all in this game.
4: Yep. He's, he stepped up when the Ravens needed him into, um, I mean, I, I do think he's still going to be, you know, fifth or sixth in the pecking order once everybody's healthy. Um, and and he could end up being some game day inactives down the stretch. It wouldn't mm-hmm. surprise me at all, but, you know, down the road next year, he's probably someone who's going to be a key part of the rotation. I would imagine. Yeah. He's I mean, that.
5: Don't you think that that really has is the key thing for him this year? I mean, you got obviously an aging defensive line, but, but, you know, Broderick Washington is one of the only young defensive line on the league. And, and the, the, one of the fears this year was that he wouldn't get a trial by fire. We wouldn't know what he would, he have what we had and he'd enter year three without it. Now we kind of know. And I think, I think yeah. I'm excited that he'll be a part of the team in some way in 2022. All right.
3: Um, well, speaking about this team, is Chuck Clark providing the best value for money of any player on the team that's not on a rookie contract? On, on
5: the second contract, I'd say unequivocally yes. Any yeah. idea? Patrick and, Ricard, maybe somebody else like that, but I mean, Clark is the guy.
4: Oh, it's it's definitely Clark. He, he's he's playing for pennies on the dollar compared to what his value is. And, you know, he was. You know, we're we're going to hit on some individual players. I may as well start with this, if that's okay, Ken. Sure. Because I, I, I was extremely impressed by the way Clark played in this game not only was he a key integral into taking away Hawkinson um, two catches for 10 yards um, and then when he he did catch the ball Clark was right there to, to tackle him at the spot he didn't get mm-hmm. any yards after catch maybe one yard um, he had the blitz where he brought down Goff for a sack mm-hmm. he I think he had one, maybe another pressure in there as well um, and just that kind of constant leadership out there on the field. He wasn't missing tackles. He was someone you could count on when he was there to make the tackle. He was making the tackle. And that's something that is really important, especially with the
5: linebackers who weren't always making the tackles. I mean, I agree. I mean, he's the best tackler on the team. He had 12 tackles in this game. Uh, it's not just by number of tackles. It's the other things he did. He kept the secondary lined up properly. I don't think the secondary had a bunch of breakdowns. So there was one. I'm trying to understand how Darren Fells is uncovered as he crosses the field that way. I, I I tend to blame an inside linebacker, but I don't know that that's true. Maybe it was a safety's responsibility and they weren't in the right place. So anyway, it's it's we, we could take a look at that. I haven't had a chance to look at the All-22 either, so that would be, that would give me the inside need. Um, but but the other thing was, on his sack, that was a wonderfully orchestrated sack. And, and we haven't talked about Calais Campbell yet, but he was outstanding in this game. Just by God, he was just fantastic. He had a lot of personal pressures, Unbelievable amount of penetration in the backfield on run plays. And he set up uh, Clark Sack. Clark Sack actually came with Clark at the line of scrimmage. It wasn't a blitz, but he stunted. And Campbell actually crossed the face of the guard, the right guard, I forget his name, and crashed into Ragnow, knocked Ragnow down. And the right guard, number 72, uh, couldn't, couldn't deal with Campbell either. And it created a gaping B-gap for Clark to stunt through for a very easy sack. So, you know, you don't always see, like, who's really responsible for the sack. Loved what Clark did. Don't get me wrong. He chased him down. He made Goff all the nervous that Goff we like, the nervous golf we like to see. But Campbell crossed that face and created that gap. And what he did to Ragnow on that play, watch it again. Just take a look at Clark's sack, but watch Campbell instead. You're going to love what you see from that
4: yeah K- Campbell um and, and Clark they were two very impactful players in this game they they're the, i mean aside from Tucker they were probably the reason why the, the ravens defense was able to do what it did and keep the you know the lions to 17 points um one of the interesting things i i saw with Campbell especially in a couple of the good defensive stops that the ravens had especially in the first half was he was lined up as you know basically like a, a seven technique as as the ed, edge ed, rusher edge rusher um, yeah and he was the only defensive tackle on the field and he was an edge it was a really interesting kind of alignment where you had you know you had maybe a safety or an inside linebacker lined up in the A and B gap maybe a couple of outside linebackers Owe and Campbell were often next to each other in those situations mm-hmm. and they have there's kind of a unique ability with them because Owe is so you know flexible and and he has that athleticism there's some i think in the future opportunities to do some really interesting yeah. uh, stunts um, up there with those two so i'm really excited to see him in that alignment and I think it's something that the Ravens can use especially when they get somebody like Madibeke out there and you have two defensive linemen out there Matabike who can win on the interior if he's lined up in a one-on-one situation as well
5: right i mean the the Ravens have a lot of ways to win on the inside when they can unleash their scheme and the other guy the guy they've been using on the inside who you wouldn't normally think is there is Bowser Bowser's mm-hmm. been playing inside and you know it's not like he doesn't have a place to to go there when the Ravens have so many great stunt under players like Campbell like Wolf, and now we saw Owe also generate the sack by Tavon Young. Very similar to the Campbell sack, by the way. Watch the Tavon sack. Look at look at Jason or, or Owe, Oway, sorry, and watch how he uh, crosses the face of the guard and into the center, and and what he does to create room there for Tavon to, to have just a very easy path to the quarterback. Loved that play. Uh, is there? No, is there? Yeah, another?
3: You want to close? The, let's close out the mailbag with Spencer. Sure. Spencer is irritated at the reverse pass uh, mm-hmm. fumble that then they call it incomplete because his argument is that the body was turned, that the only way it went forward is because we hit the arm. How did you see it? Were, did, was that a call that irritated you as well?
4: So I, I wasn't I wasn't completely sure because, you know, when they had Steritor come on and kind of give the explanation, that made sense to me. But I think by letter of the law, it did look like it was a slightly forward pass. Um, It looked like where it was released was slightly behind the yard marker and where it was touched by Bowser was slightly ahead of it. I mean, it was very minuscule. And I think it really kind of depends on the intent. And I think that's what Steritor was getting at. Um, I'm not exactly sure how that play can be defined. And I don't know the the rules in terms of like, how do you determine whether it
5: was an intent to be a lateral or if it actually was a lateral. right? Right. Great, great play by Clark that we didn't mention was that pressure. I mean, that's an unbelievably great play to get, get your hand on, on Swift. Um, and then a really unfortunate that Bowser didn't haul that in. That's the, that's yeah. the, the interception he hauled in all of 2020 uh, 20 without question. And, uh, you know, that's, that's just a it's – a, it's kind of a big miss in this game and, uh, and a chance for an impactful play. And another one, you know, that kind of got away from the Ravens in terms of a big play that would have helped seal up the game earlier. Yeah, and you make that catch, and we're not having this discussion. Yeah. It doesn't matter what the
3: refs call it. Yeah. All right, well, that'll take care of the mailbag. Continue to get in your questions
5: using the hashtag Film Study mailbag for the offensive show tomorrow night. one more player I want to talk about. That's Tavon Young, and any others you want to talk about, that'd be great too. Tavon was a concern at the start of the season as opposed to you know coming off Two years of injuries, we we should be concerned. He's playing for his contract next year in a lot of ways, and he's paid pretty well this year to to do that. Um, he's a guy who uh, has made a play now in each of the games. He's been in positions for three interceptions. He's actually made one, and they've been Tavon type opportunities where he has to like dive and pick a ball right off the ground and just doesn't quite get there. Um, you know, I, I, the athleticism still seems to be there, and he's still got a lot of that savvy to rush off the slot. I just you know we need to say some positive things about some players on this defense and Tavon Young is one of the players who's really, he's, he's bringing it.
4: Yeah, I agree. Um, he's definitely been one of those players that the Ravens have been able to have as a playmaker. He's been the kind of guy who's in the right place at the right time, whether that's instinctual, whether that's kind of just, um, you know, understanding the concepts and, and being around the ball. He's definitely someone who's, he's, been able to do that pretty consistently when he's healthy. So it's good to have him back on the field. I think he's definitely, a, you know, a contributing part of this defense. Um, you know, I'll just mention another part member of the secondary who I thought had a pretty good game as well, which was Marlon Humphrey. Um, he, you know, it wasn't as flashy as some of the games he's had. He hasn't you know, done those forced fumbles that he was – you know, renowned for last year. Um, but he's just someone who's asked to do a lot of different things in the secondary. Um, he's often tasked to cover, you know, the hardest player, um, whether that's a tight end, whether that's a wide receiver, whether it's someone in the slot. Um, he's generally a very good tackler. I think, like you said, he had maybe one or two missed tackles in this one. There's one in run defense where he came up and kind of shot through the hole on a, on a third and short and, mm-hmm. and missed the opportunity. Um, but all in all, I, th- I thought he played a very Good, well-rounded game, um, and that's just what you expect from someone of his caliber. You know, he's someone who's always going to be one of the better players out there on defense for the Ravens.
5: Not a great set of receivers on this Lions team, but he he certainly did his job taking one of them out of the game on a play-by-play basis, and and, and so did Averitt. I mean, they didn't get targeted very much, and uh, and that's really saying something. All right, uh, anything anything else you want to hit on before we before we close the show, uh, Gabe? You know,
4: real quick, just one other guy. Um, I'll mention Justin Ellis just because, he, he you know, he's backup nose tackle. Um, he wasn't even on the 53-man roster to start the season. He comes in, plays 40 snaps, and I thought he did a good job. You know, he wasn't um, someone who was out there pushing the pocket necessarily. He, I think he had maybe one pressure. Um, but overall, he's just a solid defensive lineman, backup nose tackle. He did his job in a week where he had to do his job. So good job by you, Justin Ellis
5: yeah it's we're very lucky to have a player like that available not have him poached off the practice squad and unfortunately the ravens need came before other teams and very fortunately Ellis was there so uh it, it is very fortunate the ravens got a got a deep veteran practice squad and they've already leaned on it very heavily early in the season in fact if you look at think of all the guys they've called up it's it's smith andre not smith chris but but he could be called up at any point obviously they they brought up mckenzie already who's not he's not, a, he's not really a veteran but i guess he's kind of been in the league about three years since he was drafted might have been a 2018 draftee even um you know they brought up brought up josh Bynes already they've they brought up the cornerback and i don't know where he is in terms of his years um but they've, they've already made a number of uh veteran call-ups already off that practice squad levine, uh, levine and ellis both got called up permanently right yep so at, boy they've they've uh, they've used it well
4: Absolutely. And, you know, it was something that we were kind of thinking about at the beginning of the season, like, why don't they have more, you know, kind of developmental players, you know, whether that was by accident or by mistake, they brought in players that could fill a role when needed to. And, you know, maybe they had a vision. We already have a lot of players in IR. We need to have some guys we can rely on if we need to call somebody up. And clearly that, that has proven to be beneficial.
5: All right, Gabe, always a pleasure to have you on. And and this was, in a lot of ways, this was a tough show. But hey, it's a great win. It's this this I'm I'm excited about doing the analysis. We're excited about doing the offensive line scoring tonight, even though there were some problems with that too. Uh, but you know, it's it's a it's always great to go through a week of analysis after a win. I, I'm sure you and and Jordan feel the same way in terms of doing your show.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I going back the second time rewatching. Or third time rewatching you, you pick up on a few more things every single time you see a player that made a play that might have gone unnoticed um and you always you know have to kind of think about the bigger picture and and understand you know we came out with a win these little contributions actually matter in the, in the big scheme of things um so thanks again for having me on the show um like you meant you mentioned my podcast with Jordan, uh, the Situation Room, um, we have a we have a podcast out from this week. It's out there um, on the Film Study Baltimore website. You can look at that. Um, you know, we talk about some of the plays that we think are really important in, in the big scheme of things, both from offense, defense. Um, obviously, there's some special teams this week as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're going to be coming out every week um, pretty much Sunday night, Monday morning, depending on, on when the podcast gets up. But we're going to try and get, up, get it out there really early
5: so we get some immediate breakdown of the game. All right. Outstanding. Make sure you give these guys both a follow on, on Twitter and you're at Gabe Fergie. That's correct. Okay. Uh, and, and his uh, partner Jordan is at Ravens sit room. If you want to get them. So that, that'll get them on Twitter and, and uh, make sure you give their podcast a shot as well. Cause it's a really good production. Really appreciate you guys uh, uh, putting it out there on our site. Uh, Josh, anything you need to know the Orioles minor league season finally over yesterday. Yeah. Uh- yeah, and and six Orioles games that yeah left. So if the
3: Orioles can win four of these games, they will tie their 2019 record. If they don't, they'll be worse. Is that what you want? I don't really care. <laughs> what matters is they're playing the Red Sox and they're playing the Blue Jays, and those teams are fighting for the playoffs. So it's another chance for the Ori- for the Orioles to be spoilers. So.
5: How, how are you buying into the notion that the green, I think it is, the outfielder, is really a generational player? Uh, the outfielder currently on the Orioles? No, 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 no. The outfielder who's the projected number one draft pick next year. Oh, oh, uh, oh, no,
3: no. I'm not, I don't buy into any baseball players until I see them uh, play at least okay. double A ball. I don't, there's too many failures in the, in major league draft. You can't compare it to like the NFL draft Okay, so
5: even though the the Washington was able to get Strasburg and uh, Harper in consecutive years, and they were thought to be those kind of generational talents and did pan out, in fact. Well, well, they said the same thing about Adley and Kirsten, (laughs)
3: and we just haven't seen Kirsten play yet. Okay. We'll see. He, hey, start, did started to hit that's the ball good. this week. So that's a good sign that he's coming Re- back. Real good here. So, uh, yeah, so Orioles season wrapping up. But that means lots to talk about on 336, getting ready for the off season and – Look into the future where it's definitely brighter
5: for the Orioles. All right. We got, a, we got another great guest coming over from Baltimore. Be, uh, Beatdown tomorrow, uh, Seek. Uh, and I've forgotten his first name, and that's terrible. But he'll, he'll be on the show t- uh, tomorrow night talking about the offense, a lot about the offensive line. Uh, we have uh, a Denver Know Your Foe. Uh, episode guy coming up. with The interview will be tomorrow. Uh, George Stoya is the guy's name. Uh, he'll be a new new meet for me. So, I'm looking forward to that. And of course, By the Numbers with Dan on uh, Thursday. For folks who are, who are not aware, we're doing a 25 years in review set of historical podcasts. Now, what we are not looking for, I'll tell you, is anybody who wants to do the Mount Rushmore players, the greatest inside linebackers, things like that? What we are looking to do is any point in history, like a, like an important turning point for the franchise, or a trend, or an individual player, or an individual game that people may have forgotten. Like somebody just contacted me about doing an episode on Tony Banks. And I think it's a great idea. He's a really significant player, a so place in Ravens history.
3: So, when are we, when are we doing the
5: episode on the 66 yard field goal? <laughs> All right. So anyway, the first 25 years, anything from the first 25 years, we'd, we'd love to have you uh, send me a DM on Twitter. All right. Well, that'll do it. And we will talk again soon. <laughs>